Open your Bible, please, if you will, to the book of Mark, Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. And I began a series last year, last week, rather, on our Baptist heritage. Why we're Baptist. I talk to a lot of people, and they say, well, I'm a Baptist. And I say, well, do you know why you're a Baptist? And really, sadly, many have no idea. They grew up in a Baptist church. Mom and dad were a Baptist and uh, all that kind of thing. So I want to use this period of time here in our church to go back and look at some very basic things that are so very important. In the book of Mark, we read about a man named John the Baptist, one from whom, at least partially, we have received our name. Mark chapter 1, stand to your feet with me, if you will, please, as we read God's Word together. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before me. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So notice he was a country preacher. He's preaching in the wilderness. R.G. Lee said he had a stone for a pulpit and a babbling brook for a choir. And he was out there in the wilderness by himself. But people came and he baptized in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. Notice he wasn't preaching the full gospel at this point because Christ had not died, buried, and resurrected. In fact, he had not even uh, entered the scene of his public ministry at this point. And then there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized, great crowds of people, in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, the fruit of a locust tree, not the bug. And he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. It came to pass in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, Now, Nazareth is up in the Galilee area, 60 miles north of the area where John was baptizing at the River Jordan. That's significant, and I'll tell you why in a few moments. So Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee down to the Jordan and was baptized of John. And straightway, or immediately, coming up out of the water. That's important, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened. And the Spirit, like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And you may be seated. Last week I talked to you about the Baptist recipe. And the Baptist recipe, as a little review here, simply means that just like in a recipe, there's not one ingredient that we Use We use a number of different ingredients, and we mix them together. And when all of those are mixed, then we have 
the, the dish that we're attempting to make. I used the illustration last week of cornbread. I said, if you're making cornbread, you have to have cornmeal. You have to have shortening or lard or oil of some kind. You've got to have some butter and maybe an egg or two and some salt and pepper and other ingredients, and you mix them all together. But above all, you have to have cornmeal, don't you? And if you've ever tried to eat cornbread without cornmeal, well, it's not cornbread without cornmeal, is it? And so you take these ingredients, some of them more important than others, you mix them together, and you have the recipe. What is the recipe for Baptists? Because if someone said to me, what is the one thing that makes you a Baptist? I'd have to say, well, I'd, there's not one thing. It's, it's a recipe of things. There are a number of ingredients that are required for a person to be a Baptist. And what are they? And so I gave you a little acrostic. B stands for biblical authority. We believe that the Bible is the ultimate and final authority. The A is autonomy, big word for self-government, the self-government of the local church as opposed to a denominational governance. And then the priesthood of the believer, a very important doctrine here. Two ordinances, the T, and then the I is individual soul liberty. And I talked to you about that last week. We call it soul competence or soul liberty. The S stands for salvation is by grace through faith alone. And then there are two offices in a Baptist church, the two offices being pastor and deacons. And those are our only hierarchical offices in Baptist life. And then there's, we have a strong view of the separation of church and state. Because we as Baptist people have suffered at the hands of state churches. We fear that as much as anything in all of the world, the state church. And so we believe church and state must keep their distance. They must be separate. So it's not just one thing that makes us a Baptist. It's all of those. That's eight different things, and I could even add others. Now, I go to the T. I'm not taking them in order. I go down to the T where it says two ordinances, and that's the subject today, the ordinances of Baptists and what we believe about them. The word ordinance is a word that we don't use a lot, but we use it in government life. And say, so we say there's a city ordinance that says you have to have a setback from your property line so many feet. Or we say there's a city ordinance that only allows you to have two signs on your property. I found that out a year or two ago when we had a little squabble over that issue here in the city. And then there's a city ordinance against littering, for example, or mowing your yard or whatever it may be. Now, ordinances then, an ordinance is an order from some authority, like a governmental agency. It is that agency has ordained certain behaviors and actions that the people have to do. And so Almighty God, the head of the church, of course, through Jesus Christ, has ordained. He has ordered that there be certain ceremonies or rites, if you want to use that word, that we practice in our churches. And we Baptists believe there are two of those, 
baptism, believer's baptism, I should more correctly say, and the communion service or the Lord's Supper, and that we are ordered of our Lord Jesus Christ to practice those things in our church's life. And so first, I want to talk to you about believer's baptism. Now, this is arguably one of the hardest subjects in the world to preach on to a Baptist congregation. You know why? You think you already know everything there is to know about it. You grew up in a Baptist church, and you what do you need to talk to me about on baptizing people? You take them up there and dunk them in the tank, and you send them out. And that, uh-uh. If you think that, you really need to listen today. You don't have it yet, though you may have been dunked. You may be, have been the subject, but really get this. Do you know this is a practice, a doctrine, a ceremony that throughout the Middle Ages, thousands of people died over this very belief? And for us to trivialize and minimize it today is sad above all things. So now wake up and stay with me today. You ready to go? You don't sound like you're ready. That's half of you are ready. Is the choir ready? All right, the choir's awake. Boy, that's great, because you're not always awake, some of you guys, I can tell you that. I turn around here and catch you, and um, so, all right, let's talk about believer's baptism. Here's how important it is. In the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said in his last words to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature baptizing them. You tell me it isn't important? Why did he put it along with two other things in the Great Commission if it's not important? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them all the things that I've taught you. Mark 16, 15, he gave the Great Commission in a little different way go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father. John, he sends them out, but he practices baptism or he teaches them baptism beforehand, the same in the book of Luke. So baptism is important. It is named specifically in the great commission of our Lord. You know where baptism came from? John the Baptist, I read the Mark account here because John the Baptist was baptizing before Jesus came on the scene. In fact, he was the one who, as you know, introduced Jesus to the world. And baptism didn't originate with John. Baptism, the origin of baptism, was that for years before Jesus Christ, Gentile believers who wanted to convert to Judaism, the Jew, Jewish faith, or the Jewish faith, they were baptized as an act of cleansing, as a, a symbol, a statement, if you will, that we want to become Jews. And so, if a Jew, or pardon me, if a Gentile determined to be a Jewish person or to accept the Jewish faith, they always were baptized, usually there in the Jordan is, uh, River in Israel. And then one day, while John was practicing baptism, the Lord Jesus Christ shows up. He comes all the way from his home in Nazareth up in the Galilee, 60, 65, 70 miles. 
And Jesus said to John, I want you to baptize me. John said, no, you ought to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, I want you to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. I want to do everything orderly. I want to do everything that is required of anyone else to show that I'm the perfect man before the world. And so John baptized him. Now, look at the word baptize there. Baptize, baptized, past tense, it doesn't matter. It comes from an idea of immersion. Believer's baptism is simply the immersion in water of a believer. It is a testimony. Never, ever think for one second that your baptism has anything to do with your salvation. Baptism is totally a matter of identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a matter of following him in obedience. It's a testimony that you have become a Christian, and it has nothing to do with your salvation. And you know why I say that? I think you know that in this church. We teach that often. But through the years, I have spoken to people who were Baptists, and I said, are you saved? And you know what they said to me? I was baptized when I was whatever. And that let me know immediately they think that baptism has something to do with their salvation. And I tell you, if you were not saved when you were baptized, you were just a dry sinner who became a wet sinner, but it, nothing else happened at the moment of your baptism. Do not depend upon water to get you to heaven. You don't go to heaven by the way of the baptistry. You go to heaven by the way of the blood. You don't go through the creek. You go through the cross. Don't ever, ever mix those two up. It's so important because so many people are depending on the fact that they were baptized. And so, because baptism is very, very important, and it's mentioned in all the Gospels and mentioned in the book of Romans and Corinthians and other places in the Scripture, people understood how important it was. And so, they began to say, well, if it's important, it must have something to do with salvation. But that is a really a very ignorant view of what the Scriptures teach. There's not one single verse that you could point to that would show that. And so people began to even baptize children because they thought it had something to do with salvation. After all, if it's important and it's essential to salvation, hurry up and get them under the water. And if there's one, th I've been waiting for a while to try to preach this message because I want to help some of you. There's, there, there's something I sense with parents today. That is, when a child makes a profession of faith in Christ, if they're five, six, seven years old, the parents will always say, well, now we got to get you baptized. Years ago here at our church, we, we instituted a little policy. We tried to be pretty consistent with it, and that is not to baptize children until they're at least 10 years of age. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that. That's not anything. That, that's totally arbitrary, but we don't, want to we don't believe in infant baptism here not even the extension of it into early, early childhood. My old hero and mentor was Dr. Lakin, and Dr. Lakin was preaching one time here at the church years ago in the old auditorium there, and somebody came up and was talking to me after the church service, and uh, 
want me to baptize their child. And the, and the child was probably five years old, six years old. And the child was, wasn't, even the, he wasn't even this tall. He, the, the child was not tall enough to go into the baptistry without it being over his head. And Dr. Lakin said to me, well, Bill, if you're going to baptize that little boy, you're going to have to put a soda straw in his mouth so he can, so he can breathe. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches about children like that. It assumes that people understand the gospel and then they are believers. And so we use that terminology, believers baptism. And let me give you a tip, parents. Don't compel your child. Don't push your child to be baptized. Why do you want a little tiny child to be baptized who may not yet understand the full implications of the Christian faith? Give them time. Let the Holy Spirit work in their heart. When they come to you and give you the right reasons and understanding for why they should be baptized, then let them be baptized. And I've also observed this, that when children are baptized too young, then they come forward in a service again sometime and make a profession. Then they do it again and they do it at youth camp, and they do, it. and and three or four times they're making professions. Probably they were saved right from the get go, but they didn't understand all the implications of salvation, or they didn't understand what is the basis of assurance of salvation, and so they have doubts. And in in many Baptist churches, they baptize them over and over and over. And we want their baptism to be very, very significant. We want them to understand. And since it has nothing to do with their salvation, you don't have to be in a hurry. If something, God forbid, were to happen to your child, they're going to be okay. They're going to be in the arms of the Lord, and they've already trusted him usually here to church. Now, for over 300 years, if you'll go back in history, the only, only adult believers were baptized. There was no... Uh, there were no people baptized that were not already saved and making professions of faith. But as I said, the, the thinking got to be if baptism is important, then it has something to do with salvation. If it has something to do sal with salvation, we need to hurry. And so we started baptizing infants. But for the first 300 years of Christianity, it was only believers who were baptized. And if you go to Europe today and tour some of the oldest cathedrals over there, you know what you will find? You'll find baptistries in what are today Roman Catholic cathedrals where they don't practice that mode, but the baptistry is there as a silent testimony of all those years of believers' baptism. And then about 300, you remember the story of Constantine coming on the scene, the Roman emperor who converted to Christianity from paganism and declared that Christianity would be the state religion. And listen to what happened. He said, the whole Roman Empire will be Christian. And so he had the leaders of the churches baptize every single citizen into the Christian faith. Millions of people came into the churches and became church members without ever coming to Christ, lost citizens being baptized because of a governmental mandate. And the first state church was formed. And now it was of political expediency to require people to be baptized. So the quicker we baptize them, 
They are unified in Christianity across the Roman Empire. We won't have Muslims and, and we won't have Christians and we won't have pagans and they'll all be fighting. No, everybody will just be Christian by a governmental mandate. And tragically, that's the beginning of a trend that has continued through the years. So why, why immersion for baptism? Why do Baptists make such a big deal about believers' baptism? To baptize, the Greek word baptizo simply means to immerse, to dip, to plunge under the water. That's all it means. If you said to a Greek woman in those days, she's washing a pot and she took the pot and put it under the water and began to scrub her cooking pot, she would say, I baptized that pot. I plunged it under the water. I immersed it. And so Christians just took that word from the Greek language and moved it over. And in our English Bibles, it's been what we call anglicized, a word of another language made into an English word. And we use the English term to baptize. Actually, we could just simply say, every time we talk about this ordinance, baptize means to immerse. Tonight, I'm going to baptize. You know what we're going to do? We're going to immerse some people who will be present for that occasion tonight. Now, I want you to take your Bible, and let me show you why we immerse. And once I show you, I don't think you'll have any doubts of the scripture means what I think it does to you. In the book of John, now you're, have to, you're going to have to go with me real quick. In the book of John, chapter 3 and verse 23, John 3, 23, John also was baptizing in Anan near to Salem because there was much water there. If you're taking notes with me, number one, it takes much water to baptize. That's what it says there, doesn't it? Use the Bible's term, very terminology. Much water. So to baptize people, it takes a lot of water. It took a river full of water, in fact, for them in those times. Now go over to Romans, or pardon me, to Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, you have an evangelist named Philip preaching to an Ethiopian governmental official. As they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me to be baptized? He had just gotten saved. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart. See, believer's baptism. He didn't automatically just say, yes, I'll baptize you. He said, the requirement for me baptizing you is, if you believe, I will baptize you, sir. And he answered and said, here's the testament testimony, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Philip commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went both down into the water. Baptism requires much water, John 3, 23. Baptism requires going down into the water. Going down into the water. Go to the book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Back one book, and it says there simply, buried with him in baptism. So baptism, number three, requires a burial. Baptism takes much water. 
Baptism takes a going down into the water, Acts 8. Baptism is a burial, Romans 6. Now go back to Mark 1, where we started out. And in verse 9, it says, And came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan and straightway coming up out of the water. What is a baptism? Get the four phrases of the four references that I've taken you through so you can see them. And you'll never question again whether baptism is by immersion. John 3, 23, it takes much water to baptize. Acts 8, 36 through 38, it takes going down into the water to baptize. Romans 6 and 4, it takes a burial in the water, enough water to cover a body. Mark 1, 9 and 10, it takes coming up out of the water as Jesus did. Question. Where was Jesus before he came up out of the water? <laughs> Y'all don't have a sense of humor on this, July. <laughs> I think that is so funny. I love to say that. Where was Jesus before he came up out of the water? Under the water, right? He had been buried by the baptizer, John the Baptist there. So believer's baptism means that there's got to be enough water to immerse, to bury the person in the water. And I'll tell you why in a few moments. As many as gladly received the word of God while Peter was preaching that day at Pentecost, which is salvation, as many as gladly received the word, they were baptized. They weren't baptized before they were saved. They were baptized after they were saved in order for it to be meaningful to them. And then we go over to the book of Acts chapter 8 and verse number 12. Acts 8 and 12. And when I turned there, I find there were some people, it says they believed and then they were baptized. And then I go to chapter 8, verse 36 and 8. And Philip, I just read you the account of the Ethiopian eunuch and if you believe, you may be baptized. Salvation precedes baptism. And then in Acts chapter 16, you remember the story of the Philippian jailer? And the jailer came to Paul in the middle of the earthquake, and the prisoners were fleeing. And the jailer said to Paul, Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved period, and thy house, period. He didn't mention baptism. See, salvation is not baptism. Salvation is putting your faith in what Christ has done. And he told him the plan of salvation and the, and the jailer believed in Christ. And then a verse or two later, and Paul baptized him. Always salvation first baptism second. After all, if I'm baptized and I'm not saved, it is meaningless, as I will show you here in just a moment or two. And so no other mode than immersion pictures what has really happened. To baptize an unsaved person is absolutely meaningless. So what does baptism mean? Now, so many of y'all know this, but we just need to revisit something that is really 
vital to us from which we get our name as Baptist and really get it very clear in our minds. What does believer's baptism mean? Well, I have a little cartoon up here is the best way to show you. And when you stand in the baptistry up here under this cross, you're standing underneath the cross of Christ, representing the place where he died, that he died for your sins, and you're acknowledging that. And then we lay you back in the water. Always tell the staff when they're baptizing, and say, guys, don't get in a hurry. You don't throw people into the grave. You lay them gently down into the grave. And then you raise them up out of the grave, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we are standing there under that cross saying, I'm trusting in what Jesus did. His shed blood on the cross. He was buried for me. He resurrected and conquered the grave for me. And this is my testimony. And every one of us who are baptized Christians, every one of us in this church have been baptized like that. We've experienced that if you're a member today of this church. Some of you, like myself, it was long ago. Some of you, it was recently. Some of you just wanted to make sure you had it exactly right. One of the finest Christian men I know, uh, not to patronizing, but it's Harry Lyle sitting over here to my right. My eye just caught him. And Harry is 80 years old, and a few months ago he came to me and said, you know, I can't remember for sure whether I was saved or not. Would you baptize me again? I felt a little bit uncomfortable, honestly, baptizing a man who's as faithful as anybody has ever been in this church and loves the Lord and works for him. But he wanted to get it right, to make sure in his conscience that there would never be another little twinge even there about how it was done. And boy, do I admire that. It's a picture of something else. It's a picture of a new life. In Romans 6 and 4, the Bible says, after we're baptized, the purpose of baptism is to walk in newness of life. Now, when I baptize people here, you hear me say that. You can't hear it, I'm afraid, because they're coming up out of the water. And I always wonder if anybody even heard me say that. But I say, buried in the likeness of his death, or, uh, and I lower them beneath the water, raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life. You see, it's not some empty little slogan. When you're baptized, you're saying, I'm a new person. Jesus has changed me, and my intention is to walk and live for him with all of my heart. He is my new master and my Lord and my Savior. The third thing about believer's baptism, it's a picture of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. Number two, it means I'm going to live a new life a Christian life, a godly and righteous life, not like the rest of the world lives. Number three, it is a visible picture uh, that I'm surrendering to Christ and I'm being obedient to him. In Acts chapter two, Peter said, repent and be baptized. And so it's a picture that I'm repenting, that I'm changing, that I'm surrendering and I'm obeying the Lord Jesus. And then it's a picture of cleansing and forgiveness. 
We, the water doesn't wash anybody. We're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. But baptism symbolizes that. And then baptism identifies us with Jesus Christ and with his church. And I'm trying to get my wedding ring off, and I'm struggling. Mm, There it is. At the First Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas, I stood on February the 25th, 1967, and Norma slipped that on my finger, and I've been wearing it for 50 years. We were eight years old. (laughs) Lord, forgive me. She slipped that on my finger, and I've been wearing it ever since. I wear it as a symbol of my marriage vow. I wear it, it identifies me with her. So so I could walk in and a stranger could say to me, I see you're married, right? Who is your wife? And I would tell her about Norma. Baptism is like my wedding ring. When you stand up there in the baptistry, you're identifying yourself with one that we can't see, but you're making a proclamation. I am a Christian. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the ring doesn't make me married. I can take it off and put it in my pocket and never wear it again, and I'm just as married without the ring as I am with it, right? And I remind you that baptism doesn't make you a Christian. You can be a Christian and never follow the Lord in baptism, but you can't be an obedient Christian. You can't be what he wants you to be if you are unwilling to follow him in this first and most basic outward symbol of Christianity. So the ring doesn't make me married. It just represents an identification with somebody. It says, I have a marriage. I am a married person. Baptism says you're a Christian. The ring doesn't tell you what kind of husband I am. You know, I can be, I can be unfaithful to my wife and wear that ring, God forbid. I could be unkind to my wife and bite her head off in an argument still have the ring on. I'm certainly not making allowances for anybody, but just because somebody's been baptized doesn't mean they're a greatest Christian in the world. It doesn't mean that they're always faithful to the Lord. It is an identifying mark. Understand what it's about here. It doesn't indicate what kind of husband I am. It doesn't make me married. It identifies me as being married. The other things are to come along with it. And it's God's appointed way of making a profession of faith. And if you're a believer today and you truly believe in Jesus Christ, the very next thing for you before anything else is that you follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That's number one. Until you've done that, really you have not obeyed what he's asked you to do. It's very, very important. Now, I told you earlier in the message that Jesus Christ 
lived up at Nazareth in the Galilee. He walked or rode maybe a donkey. We don't know for sure. But Jesus Christ traveled 60 miles. And in that day to travel 60 miles to be baptized was really, really something. That's a long trip. That'd be like going to, you know, Texas today or something, maybe even further than that. He walked that far. So when somebody tells me baptism is not important, I always remind them that Jesus Christ walked 60 miles to be baptized by a Baptist preacher. I always had that. Jesus Christ walked 60 miles to be baptized by a Baptist preacher. He thought it was pretty important, didn't he? Two years ago on September the uh, nine, or 13th, I believe it was, 2015, Missionary Mike Pepper calls me and said, I've led to the Lord Jesus Christ the, a lieutenant colonel in the Sierra Leone Army, and he is the chief chaplain in the Army, and he didn't even know he was saved. And I have told him about my home church where I'm a member, and I've told him what a wonderful place it is and what a wonderful church And he said, I could baptize him myself. But you know, he told me, I want to go to your church and be baptized. Jesus walked 60 miles. Lieutenant Colonel Moses Cargbo came here. He flew 6,000 miles to get baptized. He thought it was pretty important, didn't he? (laughs) So I hope you get my point. Baptism is important. It's the first command of our Lord. It's a public declaration of our faith when we're baptized. It tangibly expresses the nature of our conversion because, as I said, we stand under the cross, and then we're in the likeness of his death, burial, and resurrection. It identifies people with the church. And so we Baptists say it's the door to the church. The way you join a Baptist church is through baptism. And if you've been a member of a Baptist church somewhere else and you move here, what we're really accepting when you join us by letter is we're accepting the fact that the other church said that you were scripturally baptized. And so it always comes back to baptism. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, there's another little passage there, and it says, baptism is the answer of a good conscience before God. That's what Harry was talking about. And periodically, people will come and say, I want to be baptized because I just feel that I should. I, I didn't even understand it when I was baptized before. I want it to be deeply meaningful to me. I remember my baptism. I don't know if I've ever told you about it. I was plus or minus 12 years old. My daddy was a preacher. To his credit, he talked to me constantly about my salvation, but he never talked to me about being baptized other than preaching on it. And one day I came to daddy and I felt, why have I not gotten baptized? I need to be baptized. And I don't even remember the exact age. Nobody wrote it down for me. But I remember it was a fall afternoon, and the air was crisp, and the sun was so shining so bright. And I was so nervous. 
at the Mount Tabor Baptist Church outside of Beckley, West Virginia, my daddy said, son, this is my son, Bill, and he wants to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And he buried me beneath the water and brought me up to live in newness of life. I followed my Lord in baptism. But he didn't push me. He waited till I said to him, Dad, I, I need to be baptized. Where did I get that? My conscience was telling me that. And I was old enough at that point to understand I wanted to preach on the Lord's Supper, and I don't have time. I've preached it all up on baptism, haven't I? Just simply know that when we have the Lord's Supper, as we do here four or five times a year, that we're remembering the gospel again. Both of these ordinances are about Christ coming to the earth, dying on the cross, shedding his blood for our sins, and then resurrecting from the grave. Both of them are a proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And when we practice them, we're simply publicly affirming our faith in what Christ has done for us. This is the Baptist view of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please. With heads bowed and eyes closed,